Dr. Clyde Posley, and welcome to Moves That Matter. I am your host, and I'm looking forward to getting into our show today. I have a whole lot planned for you. We have, hopefully, a high-impact show. Let me take a couple of moments to do a couple of things I think are very important. Let me thank my wonderful broadcast team, my production team. Uh, the Vision Stream Network, led by uh, Pastor Brian Hudson, are a tremendous group of people. Uh, those of you who are uh, under, you know, checking to see and looking at the, the excellence uh, of, and quality of my broadcast and the calls I've gotten about it, it can be attributed to Vision Stream Network, and so we thank God for them. And then the next thing I want to do is um, let uh, so many of my viewers know I appreciate uh, your view. My viewing uh, numbers are going up every week. I thank God for you. I'm humbled that you allow me into your living room, into your car, into your uh, space uh, through your uh, our iPad, uh, excuse me, I, I, um, iTunes um, subscription or from uh, on my website or, or Facebook live here. Uh, every Tuesday at 7.30, however you are listening to me, whether you are a pastor, a deacon, uh, a lay member, or just someone seeking to understand the Word of God from someone just straight using the Word of God, however I have connected with you, thank you so very much. God bless you, and I appreciate you. So today, we're going to have uh, three segments. Um, first thing I'm going to do is talk to you about uh, the the book and how yesterday's celebration uh, of the great uh, man of God, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, plays into what we should be trying to do as children of God. Certainly, I enjoyed the celebrations I attended on yesterday. And I appreciate the all of what I've seen on Facebook relative to what has happened uh, on yesterday. Uh, but I but I want to throw my two cents in, if you will. I humbly want to participate and show how that the Kingian nonviolence and seek the march to fight against oppression uh, is certainly a biblical thing, and and the Word of God proves it. And then I'm going to get into the Word of God uh, teaching. Uh, straight out of the scripture, uh, relative to social justice. And then I'm going to end our, our, uh, broadcast today, uh, discussing, uh, politics and hot topics. Politics and hot topics. You don't want to miss what I have to say from the Spirit of the Lord today. So, we're going to start with, uh, the commercial that I made to support my book and celebrate the book and kind of inform people about the more than icons and images uncovering the hidden protest narrative of the black athlete in the 21st century. Uh, this book that the Holy Spirit has uh, produced, helped me to produce uh, through my uh, research and study. So I'm going to um, come back uh, right after this uh, uh, book commercial, and you're not going to miss what God is up to. I'll see you in just a second with our theological moment. Being a black man in America, is like having another job. Arthur Ashe. According to theorist Patrick Miller, sports has held a prominent political place within America's society for 150 years. On October 16, 1968, in Mexico City, Mexico, that political place of prominence would be communicated to a world audience by two black male American Olympians in an unprecedented fashion. In an article entitled, Mandela New Sports Had the Power to End Apartheid, columnist Patrick Collins explains that Nelson Mandela, the legendary South African activist and politician 
stood as one of the 20th century's most notable figures for his efforts to end apartheid. While he used a combination of methods to dismantle South Africa's system of institutionalized racism, sports were an invaluable resource that Mandela used to usher in social change. In 1995, during a speech, Mandela exhorted, sport has the power to change the world. It has the power to inspire. It has the power to unite people in a way that little else does. Sports can awaken hope where there is previously only despair. It is more powerful than government in breaking down racial barriers. As a former athlete myself, I learned that the sports field, the sports arena, is a place of molding for young men. In the African-American community, a lot of the development of our thought process and our toughness came from sports, but also often our first experience with racism came in sports activity. As I began to matriculate in school and just interact with others in life, I learned that there is a relationship, a type of intersectionality between sports, race, and unfortunately, subjugation in society. The sports arena, for me, became a place where I know this voice was powerful. I wrote this book to participate in that discourse. You have seen how a man was made a slave. You shall see how a slave was made a man. Frederick Douglass. A tentacle to the issues of race, sports, politics, and culture is understanding how America has treated black masculinity for its own purposes. It has been manipulated and controlled by gatekeepers and economic systems in America. Historically, the black male physique was manipulated. We saw this with castration during slavery and lynching. Yet, paradoxically, the black male body was also admired and seen as a spectacle to be admired. Whether it was Jack Johnson or Jesse Owens, the black male athlete has been commodified as an entity. This has led to a confusion or schizophrenic-like relationship between black males and American political and cultural infrastructures. When black males elect to use their own voices and their own bodies on their own terms, they're often deemed out of bounds and unpatriotic. This is a polemic in America. As Douglas Blackman reminded us in the book, Slavery as Another Name, when others try to control the image of black men in the sports arena, it truly becomes another form of slavery. More than icons and images, in my view, is relevant to readers everywhere uh, because sports is relevant to most people. Uh, in 1995, Nelson Mandela uh, is fam famously quoted as saying, sports has the power to change like nothing else. Mandela went on to say that it has the power to bring races and people together, even at times that governments cannot. This book, I believe, is relevant in the boardroom, at the barbershop, at the college dorm, but it's also relevant uh, on 
news stations. Why? Because sports is woven into the American fiber. And if, if we're going to be honest, subjugation is something that is a reality in every person's life, whether they choose to address it or not. These black athletes are helping us become awake to the realities of change. Often praised and respected for his physical prowess, it is time that we make the shift to thinking of black male athletes as capable, compassionate, multidimensional, and highly intellectual human beings that they are. Welcome back to Moves That Matters. I am your host, Dr. Clyde Posley Jr., and we are about to engage in our theological moment. As I said, uh, today is just one day after our uh, celebration of the Martin Luther King holiday, and so I want to get into a theological moment that kind of helps you ground your celebrations and affect maybe your perspectives about the great late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and, and his Kingian theology, his approach to nonviolence, and his aid for his fellow man. Maybe I can influence that a little bit, help you see it more clearly. On page 77 of my book, More Than Icons and Images, I engage in a discussion where Tommy Smith is quoted uh, as saying that one of the major influences of his life and one of the things that encouraged him to focus uh, uh, on uh, social justice and the needs of others and the symbolic protest of the 1968 metal stand protest was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I, and let me just add, I, I talked to John Carlos, one of the, uh, uh, two other compadres of the metal stand protest, the third being a Caucasian brother named, uh, uh, Peter Norman. But I talked to John Carlos personally and he, and he confirmed for me that, that, uh, uh, Tommy Smith talked constantly about the principles of King and what King was doing. I keep in mind that Martin Luther King was just killed about five months before the October 16th, 1968 metal stand protest on October 4th of that same year. And so, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's Christianity, his, his, his nonviolent approach to, uh, uh, serving the world was impactful for Tommy Smith. So, uh, you know, Christianity, nonviolence, King, and the Word of God do have a meeting place. There is a synergy. There is a, a synchronism of this reality. And I want to talk to you about it by introducing uh, this truth, this principle to you. The first miracle of the church work, of the work of the church, was a social justice miracle. The first miracle of the work of the church. Now, I'm not saying now, now the Holy Spirit coming into um, uh, the uh, upper room uh, there where the um, 120 were praying in the upper room and causing them to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other speak in one of 50 different languages, which was there at that moment uh, from the people coming on Pentecost. That's not the miracle I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Uh, after the church goes to work, that happened in Acts chapter two. Um, uh, but in Acts chapter three, when the church starts to put to use this Holy Spirit that they have, the first miracle that we see happens in Acts chapter three, where there was a lame man. 
I need to tell you today that that Acts chapter three text is a social justice miracle. And it is awesome that God decides that of all of the ills in society today, he wanted the church's first assignment to be to deal with an impoverished, disillusioned, ostracized, disabled person that society and church people had been walking over and stepping over. I need to tell you today that there is no separation between the justice of God and social justice. The Bible said that the poor in whatever type of poverty they find themselves in, 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 uh, engulfed in, Jesus said the poor we have with us always. The poor are a kingdom assignment. And whether we want to accept it or not, whenever the church gets too far away from what its assignment is and loses its focus, God has a way of reminding us that he has left us on earth to make people's needs and glor- uh, glorifying God through serving the needs of people our number one responsibility. Uh, in my view, part of what God is doing by permitting number 45, Donald Trump, to uh, be pushing a shutdown is that the result of it is that it is causing the church to have to put up or shut up. Many of our churches uh, uh, have people who are engaged in um, uh, who work for the government. They're missing checks because of a shutdown that Donald Trump, before Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer said, if I will shut the government down, I will own the government shutdown. So Donald Trump, who has owned the government shutdown and has been permitted by God to do so, is now causing the church to have to decide what they're going to do about uh, members who are employed by the government who can't sow into their churches now, who need the church's help maybe. Or people who, or who, who, are, who are struggling because of this shutdown who actually voted for Donald Trump. What, is the, what, what are we going to do to the, hum, the people whose votes are responsible for helping Donald Trump get in office? We're going to have to be the church and serve and love and meet the needs of these people or just acknowledge that we are, many of us are just as hypocritical as number 45 himself who said in 2013 in, in, in a Fox News telephone call, when he was talking about Obama in 2013, that, and I quote, anytime a government shuts down, that points to the leader's inaptness. That he blames that on the leader. Fast forward to 2018. What does that say about Donald Trump? His own words say that this shutdown is the leader's fault. And I agree. So social justice is a real thing. And it, and God wanted it to be a primary thing. And so he gives us acts chapter three. In the book of Acts, chapter three, we have a lame man, according to the book of Acts, chapter three, uh, who has been being brought to the temple gate called Beautiful at three o'clock every day, which is called the ninth hour. Three o'clock every day, there are some people who are bringing a lame man to this gate to help him perfect his begging. He is a beggar. And he has called, he has some friends who are actually, in my opinion, only loosely friends because what they are doing is helping him be less than what he's capable of being. Can I just stop right there and tell you that anyone who calls themselves your friend or says that they are loving you and the result of their actions toward you is causing you to be less than what God designed you to be, 
Beloved, they are not a friend at all. You can do bad by yourself. You don't need help to do bad. Anybody who claims to be your friend and does not help you uh, get better is not your friend. These people weren't helping him get better because they were dropping him off at the gate. The gate was one of the entrances into the temple. If they can get him to the gate, why not take him into where there is reading from the word of God? Why not take him into the synagogue? They are dropping him off just before where he needs to actually be. And I want to tell you, if you have friends who will push you part of the way, but not take you all the way to Jesus, those are not friends at all. And so um, this passage of scripture in Acts chapter three is a powerful social justice is filled with powerful social justice principles, principles that we can use on this day after the celebration for the rest of our Martin Luther King celebration for the rest of our lives. There are there's about five principles from this from this teaching that are relative to social justice that I want to make real and new, uh, uh, real and fresh and applicable in your life. The first principle that I want to bring forth from this uh, teaching, this social, the first social, first miracle, which is a social justice miracle in the Bible, is that we cannot help others until we come together and commit to helping each other. We cannot help others until we come together and commit to loving each other. What do you mean? The Bible says in the book of uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 that now Peter and John went up to the temple, into the temple at the ninth hour being the ninth hour of prayer. Why Peter and John? Why not uh, Bartholomew? Why, why not Thaddeus? Why, why not uh, one of the other ones? Because Flavius Josephus explains, gives us the reason why. Flavius Josephus explains to us that uh, historically, it was widely known that Peter and John did not get along. John was the nephew of the high priest Caiaphas. He had formal training, therefore. His family had money, the money to send him to school, to send him into formal types of training. He was more of a statesman, more eloquent. He, 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 he wrote better. Uh, James is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. If you check, the, the James wrote a 21 uh, what what turned out to be a 21 chapter gospel and then a 22 chapter book of the revelation as well as first, second and third John. And so we have John uh, as one of the greatest writers and most profound writers and known to be eloquent in his speech. This same in, in contrast, we have Peter rough, gruff, tough one in, in our day, he would be called a thug. He's a, he's a rough guy. Would cut cut Malchus's ear off when he came to arrest Jesus. He grabbed Jesus one day and took him. The Bible says in that in uh, Matthew chapter sixteen would tell him he's not going to let him go to the cross. Uh, the same Jesus, the day he met Jesus, got in an argument with Jesus after Jesus told him to launch out his uh, into the deep for a, 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 a drought in, in in the book of Luke. Uh, uh, so these are contrasting people. But look at the text saying here. And this is the same Peter also that denied knowing Christ and was ostracized and had to be reinstated in, in the 21st chapter of the book of um, John, where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, feed my sheep, do you love me, feed my lamb, and so forth. Uh, he was, had been separated from the disciples, but now the Bible says here in Acts chapter, in chapter 3, verse 1, now Peter and John went up, and the key word is together. They had reconciled. 
They had gotten themselves back together. They had used the power of the Holy Spirit that was that was put in them on the day of Pentecost and worked out their differences. And now God can use them to help somebody else. Part of why social justice is slowing and not moving the way it needs to is because we can't get along with our sometimes with our, the closest people to us. We work. We can't get we're having trouble reconciling with people in our own families. We have trouble reconciling with people from differences of opinions, differences of opinions at our jobs. We have trouble reconciling as a black man with the white men and white men with a black man and, 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 and black men with Latinos and Latinos with Asians and Chinese and all these different people. We have trouble getting along and wonder why we're not producing the fruit of a saved humanity at a more prolific rate. The first social justice miracle happened born from a reconciliation from the people who had the message. They can't help this man at the gate until they are together. And can I tell you something? We are not going to overcome the devastating degradation of racism until we come together, blacks and whites. I don't believe all blacks can solve a problem just because it's in the black culture. And I don't believe all whites can solve their problems just because it's in the white culture. There is no group of black people who will work together in heaven. There's no group of white people who will only work together in heaven. And everything that God does in the kingdom involves everybody or God is not in it. God is not in it. God, because the Holy Spirit doesn't check at the door to see if you are of the right color to participate. God does not do that. Because the Holy Spirit does not enter black people or does not enter white people or does not enter Latino people. The Holy Spirit enters into born again people, period. He doesn't card, check card at the door. And so what we have to make sure that we do, what we have to make sure that we do is to reconcile ourselves with our brothers and sisters. And then we can begin to help other people. So the first principle is we've got to come together uh, before we can serve other people. Next principle. Look at the text here in the third chapter of the book of Acts. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily. He was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful and to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Look at the, the next principle is you have got to change your routine if you want, if you want to change your life. You've got to change your routines. You cannot be satisfied with the same old, watch this now, non-productive, counterproductive habits if you want to see something different. I was told long ago, if you want to see something different, do something different. You know, I, I, I met a fella named um, Ron uh, Lust, Laster, Ron Laster, and he uh, he wrote, uh, 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 he introduced me to a book called Rare Leadership. And to make a long story short, one of the things I learned from him was that your brain has pathways in it. And that's where your habits are stored. In other words, your experiences from a child leading up to adulthood uh, establish a prince in your mind, a pathology of, of the way you think. And, and, and your habits become stored from repetitious behavior. And so that's, that's why it becomes easy for us, uh, uh, uh n- n- neurology and, 
neurological pathologist will tell you this, it becomes easy for us to repeat a pattern because we're so used to doing the same thing. And it becomes less about whether that thing is fruitful often if we're not careful and more about the fact it's what's most familiar to us. Some of us, like this man who was laid at the gate daily, have become so used to getting up knowing he had no plans other than to go to the gate and beg that he couldn't get himself outside of laying at the gate and begging. So his routine, ooh, his routine became his ruin. I can see somebody on the phone shouting right now. I know you all getting ready to make messages and put and put the love signs and like signs all in there right now because you like what I just said. His routine actually became his ruin. What he could not stop doing is why he could not go any further. His routine is what became his ruin. Can I tell you something? Sometimes you just got to shake up your behavior. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world in Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by renewing your mind so you can prove that which is good, excellent, and perfect will, acceptable rather, and perfect will of God. Change your routine. Change your routine. Change your routine. And for those of you who are, for, for example, here's an analogy for those of you who are basketball fans. Uh, uh, part of the splash team is, is, uh, 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 Clay, the, the Clay Thompson for the war, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the other part is, is, uh, uh, Curry. Curry and Thompson are two of the greatest shooters, uh, in NBA history. One way though that, that I have noticed that you can defend Clay Thompson, who's a fantastic shooter, is, is that to keep in mind he's a set shooter. If you give him, let him catch the ball in rhythm right where he is, his chances are going to hit that shot. I have learned, though, if you get him to move his feet and make him have to take a couple of dribbles, maybe to the left or to the right, you can, you got a, you have a better chance of causing Clay Thompson to miss his shot if you can change his routine. I need to tell you something. Some of you need to learn to move your feet. Your feet have been walking the same paths all these years. You've been going to the same places. You've been drawn by the same lust. You've been drawn by the same temptations. The same, you're drawn to the same people because they feed your need for adulation because of some pains you have not allowed to be healed in your past. So you look for people who pacify instead of promote you. Say amen right there. That he, 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 you look for people who pacify instead of promote you. And so the, the, the principle here, is that this man needed to change his routine and watch this. He needed something from outside of himself. He needed something from outside of himself to change his routine. Because if he doesn't find something outside of himself to change his routine, the people that he already has around him are not going to change it for him. How do you know? Because the Bible says that he was carried and laid daily at the gate. So the people that he has around him already are all are, are the reason for his routine. If he wants to do better, something has got to come from outside of him. He's got to get exposed to something he's not ex- used to being exposed to. And he's about to meet two people who were not in his normal circle. Can I tell somebody something before I get to my third principle? Your normal circle might be what's ruining your future. Your normal circle just might be why your destiny is not unfolded, why you're talented but still still too tempted to let your talent shine. You're more controlled by your temptations than you are controlled by the talent that God has given you. And when you're running with the wrong crowd, 
they will keep you more in temptation than they will in expression of your talent. And so uh, Peter and John were there to move him off of his normal paradigm. Speak Holy Spirit. To move him off his prayer. Sometimes we become comfortable with comfortable. And let me, can I tell you something? God did not call you to be comfortable. Although in second Corinthians chapter two and verse one, he is the God of all comfort. He does comfort you, but ne he's never trying to make you live a life of comfortability. There are moments in life where only God can comfort, but even the comfort of God is temporary because many of us would get drunk on the comfortability of God and start looking for God only for comfort and never to be, to be used in service. God does not want to be a pillow, although you can cry on his shoulder sometimes. God does not want to be your, 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 your place of just solace and nothing else because he doesn't want your life to be all about you always being just comforted or you'll find yourself at the gate begging all your life. Too many people, as it relates to social justice, are individuals who have been prone and become familiar with looking for a handout. I don't mind helping anybody except the person that doesn't even want to help himself. I don't mind giving to anybody. You don't have any trouble getting me to sow into most people. I must tell you that the problem that I have sowing into anybody is the person that doesn't even think enough to try to sow into himself and make his own way better. Social justice is not just a matter of somebody from the outside giving you something. It's about, you, you ought to have some type of so, internal desire for a social justice of your own. You ought not want to be oppressing yourself by your decisions. You ought not want, you, 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 don't, don't assume because you were born in a po impoverished situation that it's okay for you to stay there. You ought to want something more. You ought to want something more. You ought to want a better education. You ought to want to hear the word of God at, a, at an optimum level. You ought to want to see why God didn't let those bullets kill you. You ought to want to see, you ought to want something more. And if you don't want, Jacques Lacan said the most common um, reality about all humans is we all are driven by desire. When an individual is not driven by desire, you can't want something for somebody. They got to want to stop being at the gate for themselves. Principle number three, principle number three, and, and, I, and, and after this principle number three, I'm going to pick up next week. This is my last principle for today about the social justice principle. The Bible says when, when Peter and John, um, as they were going into the temple, they, uh, this man seeing Peter and John, uh, start begging from them. The Bible says Peter fastened, fastening his eyes on the man, uh, with John. So they both did. Peter told the man, look on us. Now, Peter knows who the man is. Peter knows this man is the beggar. The, the people who know this temple, this is not a new temple. They've been in this temple before. They know this man. The Bible's already said he's there every day. There ain't no way to go into this temple and not, not have seen this man. Peter knows who he is, but today, for the first time, Peter tells this man something different. He gives this man a different instruction. He tells the man, look on us. Now, this man is begging, and all he's there for is some money. And Peter uh, plans to engage him, apparently. But look at Peter's first instruction to the man. 
take your eyes off of people's money and put it on two people who've been with Jesus. Boy, that's good teaching. If I was listening to this, I'd be shouting myself. He tells this man, look on us. Peter, why you, why you want me to look at you? Because first of all, you are unreconciled to God. You're laying here begging. And I need you to look at two people that God has reconciled. God is a God of reconciliation. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And be ye therefore reconciled unto God. This man was in this shape because he was out of step with what he was where he was supposed to be in his life. And Peter tells the man, I believe, to look at us because at one time, Peter knew at one time, John and I were out of step. Even though we had been with Jesus, had walked with Jesus, knew how to love and knew what he required of us. We were out of step. Peter basically tells the man, look on us. Because if God can reconcile us and bring us right into where we need to be, he can do it to you. We are leaders. We are examples. Galatians 6 and 12 says, follow those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Can I tell you something? Every time God is getting ready to bless you and take you to another level, he will give you somebody to look on. That's good stuff right there. Every time God is getting ready to move you to another level, he will send you someone to on whom you can place your eyes and watch because they are where you're trying to go. He'll give you someone to look at and to sow into and to follow as a role model because the only way for us to get anywhere we're going is for someone like the Ethiopian servant understood. How can I understand except some man teach me? And so I need you to understand today that this principle is uh, uh, we need to pay attention to those who have had success before us. Peter and John here represent Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker, Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. I need you all to hear me when I'm telling you this now. W.E.B. Du Bois, Frederick Douglass. They represent for us people who have come to understand the power of being an example for the purpose of serving your uh, culture, serving your country. God has given us such war. You know, I, I hate it when I hear people trying to run down Al Sharpton or trying to run down people who have worked in social justice over the years because we don't, we, we say things like they're outdated and they're out of touch. That's an insult. Everybody does have seasons in which they are supposed to work, but how dare you decide to throw someone away because you've learned two or three things about social justice? Let me tell you something. They were doing what they were doing when you didn't know that social justice was necessary for you. So why can't we in the younger generation work together with those in the previous generation because there's strength in numbers? We don't have to throw away all of our old in, uh, uh, leadership in order to make strides. We have to look on people who have experienced what God can do and then apply our new age, uh, younger energy so we all can work together. I'm going to pick up these principles next week. God bless you all. This was our theological moment. I'll be right back to you with some uh, politics and hot topics.
Hi, welcome back to our final segment of today's broadcast, where I discuss. I'm going to discuss some politics and hot topics. Guess what? The government is shut down. Wow. Listen, I'm not even going to discuss that. I'm not even going to discuss the supposed end of the shutdown. I that all the rumors about it, and we know about all of the uh, rumors about Trump telling Cohen to lie, Michael Cohen, and all that. I'm going to use this moment to appeal to the body of Christ. There are some people in your congregations who are hurting. Some of them are fearful. They're afraid. I'm calling the body of Christ to up your love game. I was watching D.L. Hughley the other day, and he was uh, a feed came up with him talking about uh, it was National Hat Day, and he's you know he said you know my hat game is 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 all that, and, and D.L. Hughley has some nice hats, but I want to talk to you about your love game all this so-called love that we say we have for our fellow man and we do all this stuff. You know, at Christmas time, we have, have no, many of us have no problem giving gifts to folk we don't even like. Often we give uh, uh, toys to kids. We don't, who don't know us and we don't know them. Those toys that be torn up, they're probably torn up by now. We buy coats for kids, give shoes to kids. But can I tell you something? What uh, Donald Trump has done with this shutdown has put you in a powerful position to show your lo- the love of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. There's some hurting people. They're afraid they're going without paychecks. You got, and often when these people don't run to Christ or run to the church, they're going to start trying to solve problems on them on their own. Some of them are going to lose it and have thoughts of suicide. Some of them are going to lose it. And think they need to leave their relationship, their marriage. Some of them are going to start doing things that, that, that come out from pressure that you didn't even know were in these people because you hadn't seen them under this kind of pressure. So there's three things I want you to do about this. First thing I want you to do is I want you to pray as though it were you. I want you to pray as though it were you. God says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. If you knock, the door will be open unto you. I want you to pray for these people as though it were you who stood in need of these things. The next thing I want to tell you is use this as an opportunity to introduce some people to Christ. Because anything God allows into the lives of people is all designed, whether they know Jesus or not. Whenever God allows something to come into your life, it's all designed to help you see Jesus. Romans 8 and 28 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Um, Excuse me. uh, Romans 8 and 28 says, all things work together for the good of them who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what that tells us is Romans chapter 8 is all about helping you get conformed to the image of his son. Now, Paul wrote that to Christians who were in Rome, but I need to tell you something. That's true for God doesn't start working uh, on your life when you get saved. He starts working in your life. You follow me? He actually starts working in your life. He starts working on your life before you get saved. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leadeth the man to repentance. So he starts working on your life before you get saved. 
Some of these people are not saved, but he has allowed them to this shutdown happen in their lives. That somebody who knows that God will make a way, who will not panic, can encourage them. And they will meet Jesus because of what you do, how you deal with them right now. And it's not, and running down Trump is not what you need to do. You need to let them know, to lift up Jesus. The Bible says, and I, and I, if I be lifted up, Jesus said, I'll draw all men unto me if I be lifted up. The last thing I need you to do, the last thing I need you to do is I need you to prepare to vote. Get yourself ready to vote. These are the type of issues that you see that should affect how you cast your ballot. Don't you start this mess. Don't you, don't, some of you have said this before. It doesn't matter. It, I guess you can see it does matter now. Well, are they all corrupt? Yeah, I get, I, I guess you can see it really does matter who you vote for. Get yourself together. Pray. I want you to use this as an opportunity to, to spread the word of God in love and in care. And prepare yourself to get politically involved and vote. Start paying attention to politics. Learn about politics. Do your research. And God will make this all better for us. He can heal anything. There is no such thing. I put a post up on Facebook uh, uh, sometime last week. Uh, and I took uh, kind of mixed a song together from uh, Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep you from God's love. He loves you. He cares about you. And the moves that matter broadcast is all about you trying to understand, trying to teach you and help you understand. Come what will, come what may, you can depend on God. That is our show today. God bless you. I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with you uh, when when you watch the broadcast. And at the same time, I'm looking forward to you to see you participate in future broadcasts. God bless you. And I'll see you next week, 730 sharp right here. God bless you.